Hey, this is Mike Sarge Riley, public address announcer for the Providence College Friar hockey team and PA announcer at Gillette Stadium. You are listening to Between the Hash Marks, an inside look at Hockey East. Now, here's your host, Ian Boshane. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into another edition of Between the Hash Marks, an inside look at Hockey East, where we bring you the thoughts and opinions from the familiar names and faces from around the league. I'm your host, Ian Boshane. What a finish to the regular season we had here in Hockey East. Um, And, you know, can't really say that it was all that surprising. Uh, If any any of you out there for long enough, uh, it's kind of what we've uh, come to expect with uh, with Hockey East and how games and how the season usually comes right down to the final games of the regular season. And boy, did it come down to that last weekend. Um, so we're going to kind of change things up a little bit here this week. Uh, we usually start by taking a look at the standings uh, and then we get into the pairwise and whatnot. We're still going to start with the with the uh, USCHO poll from this week. Uh, we'll look at the pairwise as well. Um, but then we have a little bit of a change um, because then we're going to jump right into uh, the postseason that is already underway here um, as we get set for quarterfinal action beginning uh, tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, we will start taking a look at this week's USCHO poll. Uh, and where Hockey East teams currently sit. Uh, Teams just on the outside looking in. Boston College received the vote last week. UConn picked up eight, and Merrimack picked up 12. Uh, Inside the poll, Providence fell a spot from 19 down to 20. BU fell a pair from 14 down to 16. UMass Lowell jumped up a pair from 16 up to 14. UMass dropped a handful of spots from nine down to 12 following their weekend's results. So again, on the outside, looking in BC, UConn and Merrimack Providence sits at number 20 BU sits at 16. UMass Lowell is at 14. UMass is at 12 and Northeastern sits at 11 after moving up from number 13 in the rankings. Uh, The top five, A little bit of change going on there. North Dakota falls from number four down to number five. Michigan received the first place vote. They moved up from number four, uh, from number five to number four. And then the top three have all remained the same. Denver received the first place vote. They hold on to the number three spot. Minnesota received the first place vote. They hold on to the number two spot. And Minnesota State, Mankato received 46 first place votes. They remain the number one team in the USCHO poll heading on over to the pairwise ranking. Uh, this is dated as of Thursday, March 10th, the 12 spot 
is where UMass finds themselves. Behind them is a pair of hockey's teams. UMass Lowell sits at 13. Northeastern sits at 15. BU is at 16. Providence is at 18. And Merrimack is sitting in 20th. And then UConn sits in 22nd. So right now we're kind of looking at situations where if you are Connecticut, Merrimack, Providence, uh, and potentially even BU, uh, you guys, they have to win Hockey East to automatically get into the tournament. Um, there might be a situation out there with the simulators where if one of them potentially makes it to the Hockey East final, um, that, you know, depending on what happens elsewhere, they might potentially be able to make it in. Uh, but in most instances, UConn, Merrimack, Providence, and even potentially B, you are probably looking at needing to win Hockey East in order to get into the hockey uh, to the national tournament with a chance to play for the Frozen Four uh, at TD Garden come the uh, come the end of or the beginning of April. Um, so with that in mind, we're going to change things up a little bit here. We are going to get to our four check segment as we take a look. Uh, excuse me. We're going to get to our back check segment as we take a look back at the week that was in hockey East before we look ahead to see the standings and where we currently sit heading into the opening round of the playoffs in hockey East. It's time for back check of four check and back check. <laughs> All right, we will start on Friday night at Conti Forum. It was the Minutemen and it was the Eagles in the first of a home-and-home weekend series. UMass opened the scoring on Garrett Waite's 11th of the year in the first period at 16.52. That would be the only scoring of the first period. There was one goal scored in the second period. That belonged to Boston College's Trevor Kuntar at 18.28, his ninth of the year from Liam Isaac and Casey Caro as BC and UMass were tied after 40 minutes of play with a 1-1 score. And in the third period, it took only 28 seconds for a goal to be scored, but it came off the stick of an eagle, and it came from Jack McBain on his 17th of the year from Jack St. Ivany and Drew Hellison to put the Eagles up 2-1, and they would hold on to pick up a 2-1 upset win at home over UMass on Friday night. The Minutemen would outshoot Boston College 26-21. Matt Murray made 20, uh, made 19 saves on the night. And Eric Dopp stopped 25 UMass chances as he picks up the victory. And the Eagles 2, Minutemen 1. Shifting up to the Whittemore Center, it was UMass Lowell and UNH. 4-10 uh, into the first period, Andre Lee collected his 15th of the year to give the Riverhawks a 1-0 lead. Chase Stevenson would answer just three minutes and 41 seconds later on his fourth of the year from Nikolai Jensen and Joseph Cifalone to tie the game at one apiece. But the Riverhawks had an answer as Blake Wells collected his third of the year from Connor Sodergren and Isaac Johnson at 16-23. It was 2-1 Riverhawks after 20. In the second period, the Riverhawks would extend that lead to a 3-1 to margin on Reed Stephenson's eighth of the year on the power play at 8.55 to make it 3-1. to 
But UNH would answer before the second period came to a close on Robert Cronin's seventh of the year from Liam Devlin at 16.03 to make it 3-2 Riverhawks after 40. In the third period, Andre Lee would collect his second of the game in 16th of the year at seven minutes exactly into the third to make it 4-1 Riverhawks. UNH would answer once again on Tyler Ward's eighth of the year, just 27 seconds later to make it four to three, but a pair of goals for the Riverhawks, one coming on a shorthanded effort from Lucas Condotta, his eighth of the year at 1037 from Reed Stephenson made it five to three and Merrick Karenchik would pick up his third of the year, which is 53 seconds left to play at 1907 to make it 6-3 as the Riverhawks come away with a win on the road up in Durham over the Wildcats. Owen Savory stopped 27 saves in the outing for the Riverhawks. And Mike Robinson takes the loss. He stops 26 opportunities on the night for the Wildcats. 6-3 Riverhawks over the Wildcats. At Matthews Arena, it was the Warriors and Huskies getting set for the first of two on the weekend. The Huskies open up the scoring at 9.09 of the first on a power play goal from Jack Hughes, his seventh of the year. Sam Colangelo and Jordan Harris add the assist to give the Huskies a 1-0 lead. Three minutes and 11 seconds later, Zach Ewens would pick up his second of the season from Max Newton and Steven Jandrick to tie the game at one apiece, and that was how it would stand after 20 minutes of play. The Huskies would outshoot the Warriors 22 to eight in the first period. But the second period was where Northeastern pulled away. Julian Kislin, second of the year at 1326. Michael Outson, his first of the season at 1409. And Sam Colangelo's 10th of the year at 1658 in the middle frame gave Northeastern a four to one lead after 40 minutes of play. The third period featured a pair of goals. Both of those came from Husky Sticks as well. Jaden Strubel's third of the year at 10-11. And Sam Colangelo would pick up his 11th of the season and second of the game at 15-47. The Huskies come away with a 6-1 victory over Merrimack. Zach Borgiel made 41 saves despite the loss for the Warriors. And Devin Levi stopped 30 of 31 that came his way. He picks up the win for the Huskies. It was the Catamounts and the Huskies of UConn down at the XL Center on Friday night in the first of a two-game weekend series. Vermont would open the scoring at 11.15 on Porter Shackle's second of the year. But just 44 seconds later, Carter Turnbull would answer to make it 1-1 on his 10th of the season. Johnny Evans and Jared Gorley add the assist. Will Zapernick would pick up his fifth of the year for Vermont at 18-15 to give Vermont a 2-1 to lead after 20 minutes of play. UConn would answer with a pair of goals in the second period to begin the frame. Kevin O'Neill's sixth of the year from Jakob Kondalik, just 1-14 in, tied the game at two. And then UConn would pick up their first lead of the night on Autumn Schlain's sixth of the year from John Spetz and Ryan Twerberg at 7-0-9. But Vermont would not go away. Yoel Mata's second of the year at 10.33 from Dallas Como tied the game at three apiece. And Porter Shackle would pick up his third of the year and second of the game just four minutes and seven seconds afterwards to give Vermont a 4-3 lead after 40 minutes of play. 
The only goal in the third period as teams traded chances back and forth, a little bit favored toward UConn as the Huskies would outshoot the, the Catamounts 18-9 to in the third period. Uh, the lone goal came off Jacques Bukostic, his sixth of the year, an empty netter at 19-25. And Vermont holds on for a 5-3 final as they knock off the Huskies on the road. Tyler Harmon made 36 saves in the win for Vermont, and Darian Hansen stopped 24 of 28 catamount chances that came his way. Up at the Alphond in it, the last Hockey East game on Friday night, BU took on Maine. This one was all BU and all BU early. Ty Gallagher's fifth of the season at 12-21 of the first period gave BU a 1-0 lead after 20. And then three goals for Boston University in a six-minute and one-second span in the second period from Sam Stevens, Wilmer Skoog, and Jay O'Brien on the power play gave BU a 4-0 lead after 40. Skoog would pick up his 14th of the season and second of the game at 7.32 to make it 5-0. Uh, and then Ben Poisson would strike on the power play for the Black Bears his eighth of the year at 11.55 to make it 5-1, and that would be your final. Drew Camesso stopped 28 saves for BU, and Victor Osman got the start for the Black Bears. He stopped 23 saves for Maine. In an exhibition affair uh, down at Providence, Providence took on the U.S. Men's Under-18 National Development Program. Uh, the Friars would fall by a final of five to four. Uh, for Providence, uh, Ryan, or excuse me, uh, Ryan Chesley for the U.S. team opened up the scoring just 3.55 into the play uh, to give the U.S. a one nothing lead. Michael Callahan would tie the game at one uh, with 2.41 to go in the first period. Uh, the U.S. would reclaim the lead off uh, Frank Nazar goal uh, heading into the first intermission um, as they scored with just 10 seconds remaining in the opening period. Lane Hudson would extend the lead uh, at the 12:38 mark of the second period to make it three to one. Uh, the U.S. would then go up four to one as Isaac Howard picked up a goal at 1443. Uh Ben uh, Nick Poisson, Ben's brother, uh, was able to cut the lead to four to two uh, at sixteen forty six. Callahan would strike on the power play. Uh, excuse me, that was the Poisson goal. Uh, Parker Ford in the third period for the Friars made it four three at six eleven. Uh, Craig Needham would tie the game at eleven oh five in the third to make it four four. But the U.S. found the lead once again as Marek Hayduk would score at the 12:39 mark of the third period. Providence was unable to answer, and they fall by a final of 5-4 in an exhibition affair to the U.S. Under-18 National Development Program. On Saturday night, it was Vermont and UConn once again. In the first period, it was all UConn. They jumped out to a 3-0 lead. A five-on-three goal from John Spetz at 7.15. Artem Schlein would pick up his seventh of the year at 9.51. And Carter Turnbull would pick up his 11th of the year at 12.03 to give UConn 
a 3-0 lead after 20 minutes of play. UConn would outshoot Vermont 10-8 in the first period. The only other goal in this hockey game came off the stick of Jake Velo as he scored his first of the year from John Wojciechowski. At 10.35 of the second, UConn skates to a 4-0 win over Vermont. Both goaltenders split duties in this one for Vermont. Gabe Carrier stopped 11 of 15 shots, and Tyler Harmon stopped all 11 shots he saw as he came in relief of Gabe Carrier. Darian Hansen stopped all 12 Vermont shots. He picks up the win and gets the shutout as well. Out at the Mullen Center on Saturday night, it was BC and UMass once again in the back end of a weekend home-and-home home series. BC found themselves out to a 2-0 lead as they got goals in the first period from Jack McBain at 357, his 18th of the season, and Patrick Gillies, his 14th of the season on the power play at 851. It was 2-0 Boston College early in the first period. Lucas Mercury would score for the Minutemen before the first period came to an end at 12.35. His sixth of the season from Ryan Lottenbach and Matthew Kessel to make it 2-1 to one visitors after 20. No scoring in the second period of play, and the third period got a little crazy. BC jumped out to a 3-1 to one lead as they scored 148 into the third on Nikita Nestorenko's sixth of the season. And then a pair of goals from the Minutemen, Anthony Delgaizo, seventh of the year on the power play, 317 into the third. And Scott Morrow's 13th of the season uh, at 10.09 from Josh Lupina tied the game at three apiece. It was with 16.38. Patrick Gillies for Boston College scored an unassisted goal to give BC a 4-3 lead. They would hold on despite only putting four shots on net in the final 20 minutes of play and only seven shots on net in the final 40 minutes of play. They had three shots on net in the second period and four shots on net in the third. Boston College holds on. They sweep the weekend series with the Minutemen by a final of 4-3 to three in this one. Eric Dopp made 42 saves in the win, and Matt Murray stopped 17 saves in the loss for the Minutemen. At the Songa Center, it was the second of a home-and-home home weekend series between UMass Lowell and UNH. A scoreless first period of play gave way to a Carl Berglund goal at 121 in the second period. That would be the only goal in this contest. Braden Ingham and Andre Lee had the assist for the Riverhawks. They skate to a 1-0 victory. They sweep the Wildcats, and they pick up the victory. David Fezzedin stopped 28 saves in the loss for the Wildcats, and Owen Savory picks up the shutout. He stopped all 23 UNH opportunities on the night. Another 1-0 victory uh, occurred in North Andover on Saturday night. This one came down to the final nine seconds of the contest. Scoreless first two periods of play. Aiden McDonough scored his 23rd of the season at 19.51, from Jack Hughes following an icing call against Merrimack and the Huskies pick up a one nothing victory over Merrimack. They sweep the weekend series against the Warriors. Devin Levi with the shutout. He stopped all 29 saves for Northeastern and Hugo Olas stopped 27 of 28 Northeastern shots on the night. He suffers the loss. 
in what was probably the eye-opening victory of the weekend. It was Maine defeating Boston University on Saturday night, on senior night at the Alphonse by a final of 8-1. to one. A.J. Drobbit at 8.03. Matthew Fawcett's fourth of the year at 14.27. Nolan Renwick's fourth of the year at 15.17. Ben Poisson's ninth of the year at 15.34. Gave Maine a 4-0 lead after 20. Jacob Smith-Svestrup, his fourth of the year at 2.31 of the second. Grant Hebert, his seventh of the year at 8.19 of the second. Gave Maine a 6-0 lead BU's lone goal and I came off the stick of Wilmer Skoog at 15:29, and then in the third period Maine would add a pair more Lyndon Breen's eighth of the year at 5:12, and Keenan Southers fifth of the year at 706 that one coming on the power play the final at the Alphonde Maine eight Boston University one Drew Camesso stopped 10 of 14 saves on the night. Uh, he was pulled after the first 15 minutes and change, giving up the first four goals early. Uh, Vinny Duplessis came in in relief. He stopped 20 of 24. And Matthew Thiessen would stop 32 of 33 saves on the night for Maine. He picks up the victory. So that is where or I should say that is how the regular season came to win. So with that in mind, we're going to head on over to HockeyEastOnline.com and give you the up-to-date standings on where things stood heading into Wednesday night's opening round playoff matchups. With Northeastern's sweep of Merrimack, coupled with Boston College's sweep of UMass, Northeastern picks up the school's first regular season title in program history. They finish in first place with 47 Hockey East points. In a tie for second with 46 points is UMass and UMass Lowell. UMass wins the tiebreaker, having won the regular season series with the Riverhawks. So UMass holds the number two seed. UMass Lowell holds the number three seed. UConn finishes in fourth place or in a three-way tie for fourth place, I should say, with UConn, BU, and Merrimack. But after deciding the three-way tiebreaker, UConn won the season series with both uh, Merrimack and Boston University. So they get the number four seed. Boston University gets the fifth seed, having won uh, the tiebreak in league standings because the Warriors and Terriers only played once this uh, twice this season. So the tiebreak then goes to record against the first-place team. So BU had a victory this year against Northeastern. Um, So that is where BU is awarded the fifth seed. So BU gets the fifth seed. They get the last first-round bye. So that set up our quarterfinal matchups or our opening-round matchups as Merrimack would grab the sixth seed. They would host the 11-seeded Maine Black Bears. Providence gets the seven seed, finishing with 38 points. They host, uh, they hosted Vermont. And Boston College gets the eight seed in the final home ice in the opening round. Uh, they hosted UNH, who finished in ninth. So that is where we'll flip back on over and give you our recap 
from Wednesday night's playoff action uh, as the Hockey East got Hockey East tournament got underway for the 37th time in league history. We'll start down at Providence as they hosted Vermont. A scoreless first period of play saw the Friars outshoot Vermont 16 to 4. In the second period, the lone goal came from Cody Mons at 6.01. Jackson Stauber added the assist on the goal. It was 1-0 Providence after 40 minutes of play. Providence would get some insurance as Brett Berard would pick up his 18th of the season from Parker Ford at 3.19 to make it 2-0 Friars. Vermont would go on the power play late in the period. They would pull the goaltender for the extra attacker, and at 18.02, they would get on the board to make it 2-1 to one, as Yolmata would pick up his third of the year from Robbie Stucker and Joe Leahy. But nothing else would come of it, and Providence would hold on for a 2-1 to one victory as they eliminate the Catamounts from the Hockey East postseason. Gabe Carrier suffers the loss. He made 38 saves on the night. Uh, the sophomore goaltender finishes with a record this season of 6-14-2. For Vermont, Stauber with the win. He stopped 17 of 18 shots on the night for the Friars. So Vermont eliminated Providence, advances to the quarterfinal round of the Hockey's postseason. At Lawler Rink, it was the number six seed Merrimack Warriors and Maine Black Bears, the 11th seed. The first period saw one goal up on the board, and it came off the stick of Steven Jandrick on a power play at 12-23, his eighth of the year, from Alex Jeffries and Max Newton. That would be the only goal in the first period. The teams would head down the tunnel after 20. It took all of 34 seconds into the second period before another goal was found up on the board, and the Warriors found themselves up 2 to nothing. Philip Forsmark's 11th of the year from Liam Walsh and Jordan Seifert gave the Warriors a 2 nothing lead. They would expand on this lead as Matt Capone would pick up his third of the year at 4.07 from Mac Welsher and Zach Ewins, but Maine would cut, get on the board as Lyndon Breen picked up his ninth of the year at 13.49 from Ben Poisson, and it was 3-1 to one Warriors after 40. The Warrior offense would come out, and they would put this one to rest early in the third period. Max Newton would pick up his 13th of the season at 3.45 from Mike Brown and Steven Jandrick. Liam Walsh would get his 10th of the year from Philip Forsmark and Matt Capone at 11.06. And Max Newton would get his second of the game and 14th of the season from Philip Forsmark, an empty netter at 17.02 to make it 6-1. Maine would get another goal from Matthew Fawcett uh, at 17.37 to finalize the scoring at 6-2. And the Warriors advance to the next round of the Hockey's playoffs. Matt Teason stopped 19 of 24 shots on the night for the Black Bears and Hugo Olas stopped 26 of 28 saves on the night for the Warriors. He picks up the win. Merrimack advances. Maine is eliminated. The third and final game on the Hockey East opening round playoff slate was at Conti Forum and this one 
needed extra time. The teams would trade goals in the first period. Jack McBain's 19th of the year at 6.08 from Marshall Warren and Mark McLaughlin gave BC a 1-0 lead. But before the period came to a close, Tyler Ward's 9th of the year from Robert Cronin and Nikolai Jensen at 18.17 tied the game at one apiece. The second period featured a pair of goals, both for the Eagles. Nikita Nestorenko, a shorthanded goal, his seventh of the year from Jack St. Ivany at 2.48, put BC up 2-1. They would expand on that lead on a power play goal from Mark McLaughlin, his 20th of the year at 14.42. Drew Hellison and Jack McBain add the assists, and it was 3-1 for the home team after 40. But Tyler Ward had the answer for the Wildcats in the third period. He picked up a pair of goals, his 10th and 11th, both on the power play. One at 18 or at 841, excuse me, from Jackson Pearson and Philip Angaris. And the second of two at 1511 from Callie Erickson and Philip Angaris. And this one headed for overtime. It was with two minutes and four seconds left on the clock in the first overtime period that Mark McLaughlin of Boston College picked up his second of the game and 21st of the season to give the Eagles a 4-3 overtime win. Marshall Warren and Jack McBain add the assists as the Eagles survive and advance as they move on in the Hockey East playoffs. The Wildcats are eliminated. Their season has come to a close. Mike Robinson made 23 saves on the night for the Wildcats, and Eric Dopp made 44 saves on the night for Boston College. He picks up the win. Eagles move on. Wildcats season is over. That is our expanded recap of everything that took place over the course of the last week um it's now time i guess to mention our interview as we were joined here on the program by mike mcmahon of the college hockey insider and the lawrence eagle tribune uh he joined us to talk about everything that went on uh last last night in the hockey east opening round and where we stand taking a look ahead um, at action beginning tomorrow afternoon at 4.30. Uh, so with that in mind, we're going to send it on over to our conversation with Mike. And when we come back, we'll look ahead at the slate for Saturday as the hockey's quarterfinal matchups are set. And we'll bring you our three stars of the week. We'll be back here on Between the Hash Marks right after this. All right, welcome into our interview segment this week here on the program. Uh, pleased to be joined once again from the College Hockey Insider uh, of the Lawrence Eagle Tribune as well. He's been on the program a couple of times. Mike McMahon joining me here on the program as we get set to talk about the quarterfinal action uh, taking place this weekend in Hockey East. Mike, thanks for uh, hopping on once again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess uh, we won't we won't waste any time. Uh, we got a few matchups to talk about, and uh, you know, there's quite a bit that goes into each of them. But uh, before we get into this coming weekend, what 
let's just take a look back at uh, at Wednesday night and uh, just your general takeaways from the uh, three opening round matchups and uh, what you thought of those. Yeah, not totally surprised that all the higher seeds won. Uh, you know, I think that was to be expected to a certain extent. BC and UNH was certainly a close game. <clears throat> Vermont and Providence was even a close game, uh, at least on the scoreboard. Providence, I think, kind of took care of the game from what I saw. Uh, you know, Providence controlled a lot of that game, outshot Vermont 40 to 18. So they definitely had the, the clear advantage there. But, you know, UVM gets an extra attacker goal with about two minutes left and makes it interesting there at the end. So a close game there for sure. Uh, and Vermont's been able to, to keep it close with opponents for much of the year, despite their record. Uh, and then Merrimack and Maine, obviously. Uh, Merrimack jumped out in the first with a with an early lead and kind of came away and, and, and closed out the game early in the second period with a couple of goals. And again, you know, Maine makes it interesting, scoring a goal late in the second to make it 3-1, to one, but Merrimack put the game away with a couple early in the third as well. So not totally surprising. Uh, BCUNH, definitely a close game. Obviously, that goes to overtime. That one could have gone either way. That's kind of a coin flip. Uh, Providence gets past Vermont. Close on the scoreboard, but Providence really controlled the game. And, uh, you know, Merrimack took care of, of Maine. When, uh, when, when it comes to, you know, home ice and the first round of games, whether it, whether you want to sit there and take a look at the Wednesday night games being, you know, the first round of games or the quarterfinal games, would it have made more sense to you to, you know, play these games Tuesday night as opposed to Wednesday night? Or does that make the first round more valuable for the bye anyways, for the teams that clinch uh, finish in the top five to play Wednesday night and then, the other teams are really only looking at a couple of days off before they uh, before they have to play again. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the idea. I think the idea was you want to make the buys as important as as possible, right? So you want to make those buys mean something. So the teams that are really fighting for those bye weeks or those you know, the, not bye weeks, but bye in the first round, uh, they they get a clear advantage, and that's what they have. I mean, those three teams that won tonight now are going to have to play uh, Saturday. So they only got a couple of days to prepare, but today's not really a day you'd use to prepare, you know, because of the fact that you just played last night. So those three teams probably aren't going to have a regular practice today. Uh, And then tomorrow is, you know, a day before a game. So it's maybe more of a walkthrough. So it's a definite advantage for the teams that had the buys. And I, and I think that's the idea. And honestly, I, I think that makes sense. I think you want to make sure that those buys mean something. Obviously, it's not much of an advantage for four and five because they're playing each other and they're both getting buys. Uh, but it's definitely an advantage for teams one through three. So it, it gives you a, a, a – there's a big incentive to finish in the top three. I think that's why they do it and probably makes sense. All right, let's uh, let's take a look now. Looking ahead at uh, Saturday night's quarterfinal action, uh, let's start with the one and eight matchup: Northeastern and BC. Uh, these teams met four times during the uh, during the regular season, not including the Bean Pot. Obviously, they met five times, including the Bean Pot semifinals, which was a three to one win for Northeastern. Um, but going back to October, uh, BC won five to three at home. They followed that up, uh, taking the first game of a weekend doubleheader uh, at Northeastern with a four to one win. They would lose four to one 
at home uh, the following night in February. Uh, and or excuse me, uh, the, the team's only met three times, excuse me, uh, four times, including the bean pod. That's my mistake. Uh, not very good at math. But uh, but yeah, so BC winning the weekend, uh, the season series two to one uh, in the regular season against Northeastern. What's your general takeaway from this? And, you know, a lot of people out there were kind of thinking that, you know, maybe BC would be the one team if you're Northeastern, you were kind of hoping to see get knocked off in the first round of the uh, the opening round. Obviously, BC with the overtime win against UNH sets up the true one versus eight matchup on Saturday night at Matthews Arena. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I mean, obviously, Northeastern ends up as the number one seed, and I think they they have the biggest advantage in the entire tournament because they have the best goalie in the tournament. They probably have the best goalie in the country, and that's a, a huge thing, especially in one game playoffs. I mean, it's a big deal, and excuse me, it's a big deal in three game playoffs because we've seen in the past, you know, all it takes is is one hot goalie to steal you a game and possibly steal you a series, but. In these one-game situations, now you don't even have to steal, you know, a series. You only got to steal one game. And not that, that he would be stealing the game because, obviously, Northeastern is the number one seed. They're the favorite. They're the home team. But uh, they've got to be considered the favorite in almost every game they play because of the fact that they've got, I think, the top goalie in the country. He's, he's that good. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, that BC team is starting to play well. They're starting to score some more goals. But, again, uh Devin Levi has, has basically posted a shutout almost every other start and, and very rarely gives up more than one or two goals. So uh, Northeastern, a team that has struggled to score a little bit, at least consistent, or like consistently score. Uh, they, they got a pretty dangerous forward in Sean McDonough. Sean McDonough, geez, listen to me. Aiden McDonough. Uh, <laughs> uh, they got a pretty dangerous forward there. 23 goals from him and, and some other guys that are starting to come around. Sam Colangelo, especially recently, and Jack Hughes. But uh, they're struggled to score consistently, but they might not need a lot of goals. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of, of having the best goalie in the country that has, you know, goals against of under two and stops 95% of the shots that he faces. And sometimes you don't even need two. Sometimes you just need one. Uh, and on most nights, if you get two, that's enough. So uh, they've struggled to score offensively uh, consistently. I mean, they, their averages are good, but consistently they've struggled uh, to, to score at times and it hasn't really mattered because Levi's that good. The only question mark I have when it comes to this, right? You look at the two BC wins earlier in the year or one or one win earlier in the year, five to three uh, at home. Then they followed that up with a win later on in February. Um, you know, does this BC team now that they have guys like, um, McLaughlin back in their lineup. Does that help them a little bit as far as offensive numbers are concerned and being able to, you know, score the puck a little bit more, but at the same time with Northeastern's regard, does it really kind of get nullified with Levi coming back into the lineup? Because the last couple of times that BC and Northeastern met TJ Sempton Felter was in net for the Huskies. And, yeah. you know, now, now you have that weapon of Devin Levi. Yeah, I think so. I think it does. You know, I look at BC, honestly, offensively, BC and, and Northeastern are, are very similar in that they're kind of top heavy. I mean, they got a couple of guys that have scored a lot of their goals. McBain has 19, McLaughlin has 21, Giles has 15. Uh, that's a huge chunk of their goals this year. I mean, that's 55 out of their, almost half their goals have come from those three guys. 
that's 55 goals out of the 112 that they've scored have come from three players. So it definitely helps that they're all, you know, back from the Olympics, Levi is too, and, and they're, they're cooking right now. I mean, BC's playing really well down the stretch, one four in a row, including beating BU and then sweeping UMass, of course. So uh, they've played really well here down the stretch. The, the biggest thing, though, I think for me and what has helped BC turn things around is they're finally getting the goaltending. Eric Dopp was wildly inconsistent at the beginning of the year. Uh, and even through kind of January, you know, there were nights where he'd give up five, gave up seven to Providence one night, uh, gave up six to UConn, I think, back in February. And then all of a sudden down the stretch, shut out Harvard, gave up one to Northeastern, had a couple of stinkers there, gave up four to Northeastern, four, uh, six against BU in the first game. Uh, and then his last three games, one against U, uh, against UMass, one against BU, and three goals in the last two games. One of them was an overtime against UNH last night. So I, I think the biggest thing for BC is they're, they're getting the consistent goaltending now that they really weren't getting at the beginning of the year, uh, which is reflected in Dobbs. I mean, Dobbs was the primary starter for them, 899 save percentage, goals against it, exactly three. So both of those are below the, the national averages. But uh, if, if he can – if he can give them a game like he gave them uh, back on February 18th, and I know, uh, you know, Septonfelter started on the other side for Northeastern, but still, you know, Aiden McDonough was still in that game. Sam Colangelo was still in that game. A lot of Northeastern's guys obviously were still playing in that game, uh, and he made 30 saves and only put one in, and only allowed one goal. So if he's able to, to – he's kind of the key, I think, for BC. I, I think they're going to be able to get – to three goals, they generally do, um, but it, it's it's whether or not you know Dot plays well enough to keep Northeastern below that number. All right, we'll move on to the two-seven matchup, uh, which will feature UMass Amherst and Providence College. Uh, UMass took the regular season series uh, two games to one with a a one nothing win uh, back on November 5th. They followed it up with a 5-1 win on the road at Providence on the 6th, the sweep a weekend series. Uh, and then Providence's lone win would come uh, January 28th on the road at the Mullins Center, which is where this game will be played. So they have one on the road at uh, UMass Amherst this year. What, uh, what can we expect in the 2-7 matchup here between UMass and Providence. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I mean, two out of the three matchups this year were uh, UMass won one nothing back in November. Like you said, Providence won uh, a two to one game back in January, um, and then UMass had that five one five one win that was kind of sandwiched in between. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think both goaltenders are, are very good. I mean, Jackson Stalmer has been very good all year. So is Matt Murray. Uh, so I'm looking for a, a low-scoring game in this one, as, as well as both offenses has played at times. Uh, I, I think both of these goalies look pretty locked in right now. Um, you know, heading into heading into last night, and, and including last night, Stauber has been, like I said, kind of the mainstay for Providence this year. Uh, has played really well all season, but especially down the stretch. You know, he had, again, had some games earlier in the year where there was some inconsistency, including that five-goal game against uh, against uh, UMass back in November, uh, but has played really well, you know, since kind of the calendar turned to December. A couple of shutouts in there. Generally has allowed two goals or less in most of those games. Uh, and the same for Matt Murray. I mean, Murray and UMass kind of struggled down the stretch a little bit, had a loss in there to UConn, a loss in there to Maine in overtime. <clears throat> Obviously lost to 
Boston College twice uh, this past weekend. Uh, but this is still a team that has a lot of experience. Murray has a lot of experience uh, in big games. Uh, and I think this is going to be a game that, that ultimately is probably going to be pretty low scoring, despite the fact that both teams have some firepower. Obviously, Brett Berard on Providence's side, uh, Bobby Trevino, Scott Morrow uh, on, on the UMass side. Uh, I just think th- these two goalies feel like they're, they're primed to kind of take over a game that uh, may end up very similar to one of the ones we saw earlier this year that ended in you know, two to one. Uh, I, I think that's kind of what we're looking at here. Two to one, three to one with an empty netter. Uh, I'm expecting both goals to play really well here. I just wanted to kind of talk about some of the, you know, the offensive numbers here, looking at the UMass side of things, you already mentioned a guy in Scott Morrow, but there's also Ryan Ufko. Those are, that's a pair of freshman defensemen who are in, you know, two of the top three point getters this year for UMass Morrow with 31 points, 13 goals, 18 assists and Ufko 25 points uh, or 26 points on five goals and 21 assists. Um, we hear coaches talk about it all the time, right? They want their defensemen to be able to jump up and, and engage in the play and, and be a part of their offense. And, and that's more the style of offense now that the coaches are seeing across college hockey is they want their defensemen, you know, yes, they obviously their primary goal is to, you know, prevent the other team from scoring, but they want them to be a, a fourth and a fifth offensive weapon out there on the ice. How important is it for, you know, teams with guys like Morrow and Ufko to have that production coming from your back end and being that high up on your, on your line for uh, points so far this season. Yeah, it's huge. <clears throat> Obviously it's huge. And, and UMass has always kind of had that. I mean, they had, uh, you know, Kel McCarr a couple of years ago, they've always kind of had that cup one or two guys from the back end. Cause even last year, uh, uh, who was I'm drawing a blank? Who, who was the defense we signed with the Rangers? Oh, Del Guizzo. You know, yeah. Before. So, and then they've always kind of had those guys that have been able to jump up into the play and create some offense, whether it was McCarr, whether it was Zach Jones last year, uh, Del Guizzo the year before, Del Guizzo last year, too. I mean, they've always had those guys. So it's been, it's been big. It's, it's huge, obviously. And I think that's also why um, I know with, with UMass, they were a little active in the transfer portal. They added some guys, but uh, one of the things Greg Carville had said, I think it was last spring uh, when he did media. I, I don't know if it was the Frozen Four or it was after the Frozen Four, but, you know, we had talked about uh, how they were going to utilize their fifth-year guys because they had a lot of guys that had gone on to play other places for their fifth year. I think, what was it, Oliver Chow ended up at uh, Quinnipiac, Philip Laganoff. Laganoff went up to Vermont, <laughs> yep. And he had said, you know, I, we kind of feel that if we've had a guy here for four years, that was our commitment. We've got – we've got guys that we want to bring in. And I think that's kind of bearing itself out. <clears throat> you look at Morrow, you look at Upco. If you bring back 50 year guys, it kind of blocks out some of your freshmen and, and they've got some talented freshmen, obviously those two guys on D stand right out. Lucas McCurry, a forward, another one of this played really well. He's got 15 points as a freshman this year. So I, I think that they, they kind of knew what they had in the pipeline after winning the national title last year. And uh, it's, it's bared itself out. I mean, they're, they're obviously one of the top teams in the conference. Highest team in the pairwise right now, I think, for Hockey East. And Morrow and Ufko are a huge, huge part of that. I mean, Morrow, a freshman coming in with 31 points in 33 games as a D is impressive. When 13 of those points are goals, it's even more impressive. I mean, he's played really well. He's just been – he's been super for them all year. You just mentioned the pairwise real quickly here. 
going into this weekend, do you think regardless of what happens, is UMass's fate kind of already locked in? Are they are they in the national tournament right now? Um, that's a great question. Let me take a look. Uh, we we have a matrix that is up on CHN that kind of simulates these things. So they're yeah, I, I they're not a they're not a an one hundred percent lock, but they would call uh, they would be called what I would call a virtual lock. I mean, in our simulations at CHN, they're in ninety eight percent. So there's probably some wacky scenarios that keep them out, but um. They look like, if like a, much if, like, if like a Penn State were to go on and win the Big Ten, and then you get an upset in the you know the NCHC tournament in the you know the yeah, I think it would take there. something like that. Yeah, it would take you know, <clears throat> it would take you know somebody outside of the top sixteen winning the Big Ten, the CCHA, the NCHC, maybe even and the ECHC. I don't know. Uh, it would take something wacky though. Know, I think for that to happen, it looks like they're pretty much locked in at ninety eight percent. But they're really the only hockey East team that is. Northeastern's right behind them. We have them at 82%. Uh, UMass Lowell at 14. We have them at 64%. Uh, and then BU at 17% in the 16 spot. So uh, it, it certainly looks like uh, Northeast, uh, excuse me, UMass is locked in. Northeastern looks like they have a very good shot. I mean, 82%, it would take something kind of wacky to keep them out too. But then Lowell drops to 64. I mean, that's only a little bit more than a, than a 50 50 chance so I, yeah. I think that it's possible you know it's possible that they that they could could end up out i mean let, let's put it this way they're 14 right now if they lose to merrimack and we'll talk about this game in a minute here but if they lose to merrimack on saturday that's gonna fall uh they're more than likely i think playing for their for their their lives on on saturday lowell is yeah more than all likely. right well perfect perfect opportunity to, to flip on over uh, let's talk about that UMass Lowell Merrimack matchup. Obviously, this year, uh, Merrimack won both matchups with the Riverhawks, uh, sweeping a home and home weekend series uh, in the middle of the month of January. Uh, Merrimack winning in the Friday night contest uh, by a final of three to one, and then holding on for a three-two victory on the road at the Sonia Center on. Uh, on the Saturday matchup there. Um, you just mentioned it. Lowell's fighting for their uh, postseason lives as far as getting into the national tournament is concerned. And obviously Merrimack, it has to make a whole lot of noise here going down the stretch of the rest of the hockey's playoffs. What can we expect uh, from this one uh, going into Lowell on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, Lowell seemed to, they seem to figure it out and kind of turn things around against New Hampshire that last week of the regular season, because including that Merrimack weekend back in January, you know, they were kind of just floating around 500 down the stretch. I think they were actually a little below 500 down the stretch, uh, including those two Merrimack losses. So it certainly looks like they figured it out <laughs> the last weekend against UNH, but uh, they were kind of up and down here down the stretch. And honestly, uh, I think Owen Savory is one of the better goalies in, in the league. Uh, it's got a 928 save percentage in the season, 184 goals against. But since that Merrimack series, again, uh, and he only started one of those games, but since that Merrimack series, he's kind of been hot and cold too. I mean, he, he's four goals allowed against UMass, allowed three or more goals against UMass, Dartmouth, Northeastern, and Providence, and UNH in, in, in one of those wins. Uh, so they're, they're, 
they don't seem as unbeatable, honestly, as they did back in January when Merrimack faced them the first time and swept them. I thought when Merrimack went into that weekend series back in January, Savory had like a, almost a 950 save percentage. Now it's down to 928. Uh, and, and Lowell just seemed like they were on a roll. You know, and they, they honestly almost, they seemed more unbeatable then than they do now, quite frankly. Uh, you know, it looks like teams have maybe started to figure something out on them down the stretch, maybe a little bit. And a lot of what they do rotates around how well Savory plays and obviously he's allowing less than two goals a game. So he generally plays pretty well, but this is a team that, you know, doesn't have a, a ton of offense. Uh, Merrimack has more goals this year on average than Lowell does. Andre Lee's a great player. He's got 16 goals. You know, Matt Crass has got 11 as a freshman. Carl Berglund leads a team with 26 points, but they don't have a single player on the roster that averages a point per game. Uh, and, and Berglund's the most at 0.87, 26 points in 30 games. So, uh, you know, they're, they're offensively, they're kind of what they're not. How do I put this? They're, they're not the, the Lowell teams that I think were the dangerous Lowell teams that you would think, okay, this is, this is a potential frozen four team like they were mm-hmm. back in, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, they, they've been kind of very similar over the last couple of years in the sense that they've got a couple of guys that can score. Uh, their offense isn't horrifying. Uh, they just play really, really hard. I mean, they protect their net really well. And that that's what I, when they play well, it's not just Savory who plays well, those five guys in front of them protect, protect the crease maybe better than any other team in the league. I mean, they block more shots. They protect the house, like no team in the league. So when they're limiting teams offensively, not only is, is their goaltender playing well, but the five guys in front of them just kind of lock down that 10 to 12 feet in front of the crease and don't give you much space at all. So uh, that is the key, I think, because like this Merrimack team has been able to score, as we've seen, put up six goals last night uh, against Maine and, and have generally, you know, this past weekend against Northeastern not, notwithstanding, have generally been able to score in most games all year, you know, we going back to October, we didn't really think that Merrimack's offense was an issue. And uh, I, I think it's, it's going to come down to how well Lowell protects the front of the net uh, and same for Merrimack. I mean, same for Merrimack. I know one of the things that's been interesting with this Merrimack team is they've kind of flipped the script or followed the script a little bit to what we thought it may have been back in October. I know you and I talked about this uh, back in our, in October before the season started, we were like, you know, Merrimack's got a really top heavy schedule and, if they're able to kind of survive the first couple of months, we thought that they were going to be able to do some damage and, and they did. I mean, they were below 500 in November, but kind of just below and were teetering right around 500. And then all of a sudden it hit the second half when the schedule kind of lightened up a little bit. And then all of a sudden they started to, to take care of business against some teams that you would have expected that they would have taken care of business against and, you know, throw in some impressive weekends like that sweep against Lowell, the sweep against Providence, uh, as well. So uh, I think this game comes down to how well Lowell can protect the front of their net because Owen Savory, Owen Savory is good enough to win the game on his own. Uh, but if you've got him along with five other guys defending the crease as hard as they generally do, that's when Lowell's a really tough team to beat. Uh, so I, I think this game comes down to that. You've talked about Merrimack's offense. They're, they're being led by a couple of grad grad transfers and max newton and steven jandrick uh newton has 14 goals and 24 assists for 38 points jandrick with eight goals and 19 assists uh for 27 points but moreover just going down the merrimack lineup there they have 
I'm counting 10, 11 guys in double digits as far as points are concerned. Uh, three of those come from the defensive end and Declan Carlisle, Zach Ewins, and Zach Vanell. Um, but we've seen from this Merrimack team, they have four lines that Scott Boric hasn't been afraid to throw out there because he's confident in their ability to generate chances and generate offense for him. How key is that for, for Merrimack to continue this weekend if they want to continue and move on and, and get to the garden for the first time in a handful of years? I, th- I think that's the key for everybody now. I mean, that's kind of where the sport has evolved. It's no longer, hey, we got two lines that can score, and then we got two lines that, you know, just, just they're good defensively. And th- that was kind of the model, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now you need four lines that can score now, and they have that. I mean, obviously your top two lines are going to score at a at a higher rate, but that offense needs to be pretty consistently spread out over your four forward lines, and they've been able to do that now for most of the year. Honestly. I know we talked about it last night, but I, I thought their third and fourth line last night were the best two lines that they had. Uh, and they had a couple of goals from there too. I mean, Capone had one, um, you know, they had a couple of goals that came from that, that bottom six forward rotation. And I really thought those were the guys last night that made the biggest impact in the game. Uh, Mac Welsh, Mac Capone. I, I thought Jordan Seifert was, was really good. Uh, just kind of playing his game and doing what he does. Mick Mesner the same way. So uh, that's kind of been the key. And if you can get, a goal a game out of those bottom six those bottom six forwards I think that's all you really need you know if you can get a goal a game out of those third and fourth lines and two goals a game out of your top two lines that's kind of the recipe that gets you to three and that's generally what teams are trying to race to you get to three goals you're going to win more often than not so I kind of see that as the formula if you can get a goal from your top line a goal from your second line and then you just need your third and fourth line to give you one you know, you're probably putting yourself in a really good opportunity to win that game. And the way that those bottom six guys have played, uh, you know, that's they're able to generate offensive chances just because they work so damn hard. I mean, Mac Welsh, they just don't stop moving their feet. Uh, they're just in, they're such a pain to play against because they don't stop. They're in your face. They're not creating a lot of their offensive opportunities with, uh, you know, flashy plays in the zone or, or, you know, really skilled you know, cross ice passes or anything like that. Like you can tell mm-hmm. when you watch that Max Newton line with Jandrick and Alex Jeffries and the Forsmark line with Liam Walsh, like those lines play a lot differently than Welsher's line and Mesner's line. Welsher and Mesner's line are more just, we're going to punch you in the mouth and we're going to keep on punching you in the mouth until you give us the puck and, and we might be able to jam a puck in and get a goal out of it, but it works. I mean, and, and that you need, you need lines like that. Uh, especially at this time of year. I mean, I, I think back to that Merrimack team that we talked about that went to the tournament in 11 and went to the Garden in 2011. I mean, Stefan DaCosta's line was obviously a big focus on that team. The, the top player in the on the roster at that point. Uh, and same with who's well, the second line was centered by Joe Cucci, another guy that had 35 points or so. But the best line that they had in that run was the line centered by Carter Matson? I mean, we still talking. It was Carter Matson, Elliot Sheen, and Ryan Flanagan. And that was their third line. And it's like they were good for a goal a game, at least, as well as going out there and just being relentless on the puck, relentless in the forecheck. Uh, that, was, that was the key to that team. As well as those top six guys played, the key to that team was that third line. They were just incredible down the stretch and, and, and during the playoff run. 
All right, let's let's shift over to the fourth and final uh, quarterfinal matchup here, and what I think has certainly the potential to be the best matchup of the weekend. Uh, it's UConn hosting Boston University. Uh, BU took the regular season series two to one. Um, they escaped with a two to one victory at UConn uh, back in October, which was the first full weekend of the regular season. Uh, they then lost the next night at home to UConn uh, five to one and then picked up an overtime victory at UConn 2-1 to one on January 14th. Uh, this UConn program has come a long way from their first days in the league where they were kind of a doormat program, and they'd, they'd go on the road and get thumped and you know come out on the wrong side of 6-1, 7-1 losses for other programs. But um, after a slow start, this is a BU program that down the tail end of the regular season lost just three times in their 14 uh, or 15 games that they had down the stretch. W what are you looking at here for the UConn BU matchup? And uh, what can we expect on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, this, this one is going to be a battle. I mean, honestly, the, the three versus six matchup with Merrimack Lowell and this four or five matchup, I think are going to just be two dog fights because really these teams weren't separated at all. Uh, you know, four versus five, this, 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 these two teams, BU and UConn, tied for fourth. I mean, one's the home team just because of the tiebreaker. Same thing with Merrimack and, and Lowell. It's, it's a and the fact that team. somebody has to be the home team. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a 3-6 game, Merrimack and Lowell, but really it's a 3-4 game. I mean, Merrimack tied for fourth, just ended up six because of the tiebreaker. So uh, both these games are going to be dogfights, and this one is going to be, I, I think, this one has the potential to just be a lot of fun. Uh, I could see it going either way. I, I could see the result going either way. And I can see kind of the, the style of game going either way, because both teams have kind of played that way down the stretch. They've had games where they've had shootouts, you know, UConn has a six, four uh, win against BC down the stretch. They've got a six, two, one over Merrimack down the stretch. They've got a five, two loss to Northeastern down the stretch. So it's kind of been like uh, you've had some games that have been low scoring and some games that have just been absolute shootouts. Same with BU three, one loss to, to BC a couple of weeks ago. 8-1 uh, loss to Maine, 6-3 win over BC, 4-3 win over Harvard, seven goals in that game, 6-4 uh, win over UMass, 5-2 win over Providence, uh, and then you, you also have a 2-1 loss to Vermont in overtime in this stretch, <laughs> one of their only losses down the stretch. So I could see this game going either way as far as the result, um, but also as far as just what kind of happens, uh, what kind of happens uh, in how the game takes shape, because both goalies have the potential to play really well. Drew Camasso has been really good, um, but also both teams are, are talented enough that they could kind of go on a little bit of a run here and, and put some goals together. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see the two to one game, but wouldn't surprise me to see the five, four game either. You, you mentioned uh, Drew Camasso coming back. Obviously Vinny Duplessis was great for coach O'Connell and company when uh, he was filling in for Camasso while over at uh, the Olympics in Beijing what are some of the other aspects that you're looking at here as far as BU is concerned and, you know, defensively a couple of guys to keep an eye on. And then, you know, obviously they have weapons up front and Robert master Simone and Wilmer Skoog. And, you know, they have the, they have the weapons to put the puck in the back of the net. They do. Uh, they do. Uh, and, and they're, you know, a couple of guys that they didn't really have healthy for the beginning of the year that have played well too. And Matt Brown and Jay O'Brien, I think that's been a big part of their success down the stretch is, the fact that they have those guys back in the lineup and, and contributing and kind of feeling good about themselves again after being hurt earlier in the year. So uh, they've 
They've been consistent down the stretch, and I think it's because they've been healthy down the stretch, whether it's Scoob, Master Simone, kind of been healthy all year. Uh, but getting O'Brien and Brown back were, were really big. I mean, that's two guys that were arguably on their top line, definitely in their top six, that missed 10 games at the beginning of the year. So I think that's been a big part of it. And I also think, you know, I, I wouldn't underestimate the addition of J.P. Andolfo and what he's brought to the staff and kind of what he's brought from an idea standpoint. Um, guys got a lot of experience, you know, coaching the NHL last year. So I, I think that's been a big part of it too. All right, Mike, we're going to put you on the spot here before we let you go. Uh, who do you got advancing to the garden next weekend for championship weekend? Um, these, these, I could be 0 and 4 and it wouldn't surprise me because all these teams, as we've seen in the, in the regular season standings, I think are all pretty close. Uh, if I were to take picks, I would go Northeastern beating Boston College. Uh, I think we're going to see UMass come out on top over Providence. Uh, and then honestly, I, I like the underdogs in the, the four five and three, six games. Uh, I, I like Merrimack's matchup with Lowell just because of the fact they beat them twice earlier this year. Uh, and I think, you know, Merrimack has played well down the stretch and Lowell's been kind of hit or miss down the stretch. Uh, and then as much as, as UConn struggled a little bit and, and BU's been on a run here, uh, there's just something about this UConn team. You know, I think they're starting to get some guys uh, that, are, that are coming together. Johnny Evans is kind of the key there. You know, I know he's had a disappointing season. I know he's been hurt, but he's played really well down the stretch and he's kind of back. Uh, I, I think UConn's going to figure out a way to get it done. All right. So if my math is correct here, that would set up a Northeastern Merrimack semifinal and a UMass Boston University final. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be following along, seeing how that goes. And uh, we'll, we'll check back in and, and see uh, where your standings are once uh, this weekend has come to a close. Sounds good. But all right, Mike McMahon joining us here on the program. Uh, Mike, just again, where can uh, where can people follow along and uh, and find all your work, especially uh, as we come down the stretch here of the college hockey season? Uh, just everything's on Twitter, Mike McMahon CHN. You'll find everything there. I'll post links to everything there, and you can uh, follow along. It should be a fun ride. Simple enough. Mike McMahon of College Hockey Insider and also the Lawrence Eagle Tribune joining us here on the program. Mike, appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the weekend of uh, college All hockey right. action. Big thanks to Mike McMahon All joining right. us here. We'll be on back the here on the program. We'll week. look ahead uh, uh, at the weekend that is a little bit further. Break down and we'll also bring you our three stars night and of the week here on the program. We'll be back between the hash marks. You heard, you know the matchups. But let's take a look ahead as we get to our four check segment of four check and back check. We'll begin with the 4.30 matchups. Uh, down at the Songa Center, it will be the six-seeded Merrimack College Warriors and the three-seeded UMass Lowell Riverhawks. A 4.30 puck drop, that game can be seen on Nesson Plus. Uh, and the other 4.30 matchup is the 4.5 matchup between Boston University and UConn. That game down at the XL Center. That game can be found on collegesportslive.com. The 7 o'clock matchup is the 7-2 and two matchup between Providence and UMass at the Mullins Center in Amherst. Uh, that game at 7 o'clock, also on collegesportslive.com. And the other matchup on Nesson Plus at 7.30 is the 1-8 and eight matchup between Boston College and Northeastern as the Huskies host the Eagles at Matthews Arena. All right, it is now time to take a look at our three stars of the week. 
uh, as we do every week to end the program here. Uh, our number three star this week, we will give to Reed Stephenson. Stephenson of UMass Lowell, who picked up a goal and an assist on Friday night's 6-3 victory at UNH for the Riverhawks uh, in route to a weekend sweep of the Wildcats. So Reed Stephenson, our number three star this week for UMass Lowell. Our number two star this week, we will give to UMaine's Grant Hebert, uh, as Grant also picked up a goal and an assist in Saturday night's 8-1 victory over you uh over boston university excuse me uh as the black bears rolled over boston university eight to one and our numbers number one star this week we will give to northeastern goaltender uh devin levi uh devin stopped a combined 30 shots on friday night uh, in a 6-1 victory over UMass, uh, over Merrimack College. And then on Saturday night, he stopped another 29 saves. So 59-save performance weekend for Northeastern's Devin Levi, uh, allowing just one goal in two games. He'll pick up our number three star. So our number one star, excuse me. So our three stars of the week, uh, UMass Lowell's Braden Engham, a uh, goal and assist, for UMass Lowell, he takes our number three star as the Riverhawks sweep UNH. Our number two star, we will give to Grant Heber of UMaine, a goal and an assist on Saturday night in route to an 8-1 victory for the Black Bears over Boston University. And our number one star this week, Northeastern goaltender Devin Levi, 59 save weekend, just one goal allowed as the Huskies sweep Merrimack and take home the program's first regular season hockey East title. That will do it for us here on the program this week. Again, big thanks to Mike McMahon joining us here uh, as we've now had a chance to sit down, break down and look ahead um, at the upcoming weekend of college hockey action. As we are set for the quarterfinal matchups. Next time we talk to you, we will know what four teams will be heading to the garden uh, for the Hockey East Championship weekend, uh, March 18th and 19th. Uh, again, thanks to Mike for joining us here on the program. Get on out to a rink. Great playoff action is already underway. There's sure, sure to be more of it this coming weekend. Uh, so again, for Mike, thank you. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. We'll meet again. Don't know where.